Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commandments and has given us the word of God. Amen? Amen. 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 Um, I had a, uh, a client sent me a link to a uh, sermon from John Piper. And uh, I clicked the link at work. And about 35, 40 seconds into it, Peter pushed his chair over to me, and we sat there for 17 minutes listening to the sermon. And uh, short sermon. It's a 40 minute sermon. Uh, But the first 17, 18 minutes is, uh, I don't want to say breathtaking. But it reminded me of uh, years back, and I thought that it would encourage you men. And uh, I figured we could uh, start off with that before we uh, jump on what we've got for the night. You don't really need to watch. Father, my simple prayer is that Bethlehem, these many people, would taste and see that your word is more precious than gold, even much fine gold, and that it is sweeter than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that brings forth its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, and in everything he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So preserve me, O God. But you are my God. You are the Lord. These are the noble in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. Their libations of blood I will not pour out nor take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. 
In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad. And my soul rejoices. And my body also dwells secure. For you do not give up your godly one to see the pit. You have shown me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases. Redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the peoples of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He doesn't deal with us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man... His days are like grass. The wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. You have put your throne in the heavens. And your kingdom rules over all. Oh, bless the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, all these ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained access into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing the suffering works patience and patience works approvingness and approvingness works hope and hope does not put us to shame because the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us for while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly now for a good man, one might dare to die. Scarcely will one die for a righteous man. But God chose his love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who walk according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who walk according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The mind that is set on the flesh is death. And the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God really dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, though your bodies are dead because of sin, your spirit is alive because of righteousness. If the one, the Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through the Spirit that dwells in you. So brothers, we are debtors, but not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. He has not given us a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. He has given us the spirit of sonship by which we cry, Abba, Father. And when we do that, the Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with Him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will re be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the whole creation was subjected to futility, not its own will, but by the will of Him who subjected it in hope that the whole creation will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together like pains of childbirth and not the creation only. But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, even we also groan, waiting our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In that hope, we were saved. And who hopes for what he sees? But if you hope for what you do not see, you wait for it with patience. Likewise. The Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. For we know 
all things work together for God. For those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. What are we going to say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how shall he not freely with him give us all things? Who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's going to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, who was raised from the dead. Yes, who is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink or about your body, what you shall put on. Consider the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than the birds? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. They don't toil or spin. Yet I tell you, Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? So don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? All the Gentiles seek these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek his kingdom first. And his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to be anxious for itself. Every day's got enough trouble of itself. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and deliver my body to be burned and do not have love, I gain nothing. 
Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices together with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. As for prophecy, it will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For now we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, we see in a mirror, dimly. Then, face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. The greatest of these is love. The reason I began this message by reciting Psalm 1, Psalm 16, Psalm 103, Romans 5, 1 to 8, Romans 8, Matthew 6, 1, 25 to 34, 1 Corinthians 13, is in the hope in the desperate prayer that God would do for you what he did for me 31 years ago. Wow. 17 minutes and some seconds. And not once did he speak his own words. Not yeah. one word. It he was could, all was, scripture. He connected it so well. I mean, each one just kind of flowed into right the into the other. That's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. cool. I wish, yeah. I, I wish I had that kind of memory. <laughs> well, his the rest of his sermon, I'm going to uh, post the link for you on uh, Men of Torah, but the, the reason uh, why it took Pete and I uh, so uh, was because we we're, we're kind of focused on Psalm 1 in, in our family, because that's Morgan's life first, and she was the first child, and yeah, we all know Psalm 1, so, and then he went through it. Uh, the man of God is going to meditate on his word day and night. And, uh, and our uh, study has shown that uh, meditation only comes, you know, it's, it's that word to, to chew and re-chew, you know, like, uh, uh, to, uh, like a cow chewing on its cud. And you can't do that by just reading it. You have to have it in there so you can just kind of mull on it chew on it and uh, to do that you got to have it memorized and uh, I, I have personally experienced the the wow factor of memorizing an entire chapter like Romans 6 and finally getting a handle on it 
like never before because you've got the front and the back at the same time and your mind can now start to play with it like like the sages did constantly um, so I want to encourage you uh, in order to meditate you have to memorize first and uh, the rest of his sermon is all about the value of doing that and uh, the ability to fight the devil resist temptation glorify God, be prepared to give an answer uh, to those in need and so on and so on and it's just a great thing so um, it encouraged me I thought it might encourage you guys and one other person I know that has that same ability to um, to just recall large amounts of scripture at a time and that is Rabbi Richard Freeman Beth Messiah he's, mm-hmm. he's just got a gift and he'll he'll get up on you know on a Shabbat in a Shabbat service and start. He he's uh, his spiritual gifting is pastor and and exhorter. I mean he just encour- he's just an encourager. Right? Yeah. He's not a great teacher. He's not a prophet. He's you know uh, not even really a great evangelist. But he just shepherds heart and he just encourages people. And when he gets up uh, in the Shabbat service. He'll just start sharing. He always ties, you know, his thoughts to the parsha and whatnot. But he'll just be talking, and then all of a sudden, he'll be like three or four minutes into, you know, into uh, speaking, and I'm and I realize he's he's just reciting the scripture. He's just giving it, but back. it comes out so naturally, yeah. and he and he's, he's able to kind of do it with the expression and stuff yeah. like that. That you almost don't realize that he's not. Reciting scripture, yeah, it's almost like, like he's just talking here. naturally. Yeah, you know, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's it is really beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. I am, I am of the uh, absolute impression that every one of us can do that. We just need to spend the time doing, it, you know, and it needs to, it needs to become a priority in our lives. We are commanded to do it. It is expected of us, and uh, we shortchange ourselves when we let everything else take a higher priority. I got eight post holes to dig this deep. Now, I'm just sharing from my heart. What an idiot I am for not already having a couple of chapters here and there to meditate on while I'm doing that. No, I've got this verse here and that verse here and this verse and that verse and, you know... um, you know, don't forget to pour out the blood. Got that. Got that. Yeah. So, I, I just think that uh, focus. Focus is the key. So, All right. Well, I thought it would encourage you. I did. Thank you for sharing. Today, the uh, Republican convention uh, began with... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, a prayer from Rabbi, Orthodox Rabbi, uh, Daniel Soloveitchik, Soloveitchik, Soloveitchik. Soloveitchik. Yeah, and it will close with uh, a Catholic Cardinal from New York at the end of the week. But, uh, it, it, uh, it opens up this week, and then I think, isn't next week the Democratic Convention? Yes. Yeah. And uh, so it's 
It's upon us. Data tells us that in many ways there are greater gaps than ever between the rich and the poor. In these difficult economic times, this is seen by some as a glaring injustice that must be remedied. There should not be a 1% that lives so much better than the other 99%. The wealth must be redistributed. On the other hand, there are those who say that it is no one's business what anyone does with their legally gained assets. Anyone who wants can work harder. Prosperity depends on people finding ways to work harder and better. Redistributing wealth destroys the incentive to work hard. Why bother to work hard when prosperity will be delivered to one's doorstep anyway? What wisdom does the Torah have to offer on the issue of the distribution of wealth? Is wealth a mark of sin? A sign that a person has greedily taken too much and necessarily impoverished others? Is poverty a sign of laziness? Or ineptitude, an outer indication of poor character. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. So, here's a, here's a quote from Gates and Buffett Take the Pledge. Wall Street Journal, two years ago, August 20. Successful entrepreneurs turned philanthropists typically say they feel a responsibility to give back to society. By giving back, but giving back implies they've taken something. What exactly have they taken? Yes, they've amassed great sums of wealth, but that wealth is the reward that they have earned for investing their time and talent in creating products and services that others value. They haven't taken from society, but rather enriched us in ways that were previously unimaginable. So, do you agree with that? Yep, mm -hmm. This is going to be a tough class if everybody agrees with this. Um, I'm sure you can play the other side. I definitely can. Um, so you don't think that the wealthy have taken anything away that they have to restore? No, they've only given. Okay. So how do you how do you respond to someone, maybe in the Democratic Party, that says that? Uh, they have an obligation to give back. Well, I, I think they will start with we'll start with them. <laughs> you want to party? Okay. We'll start with you. Why don't you redistribute to me? And then we'll, and then we'll go lead by example. Yeah. All right. What, what about that one percent? I'd like to see who they how they have helped people by the gain of their money. So. Let's say a one percenter, and let's say oh, I'll for the one percent. Who cares what they've done? But within the company they run, which has gained them millions or billions of dollars, how many people have they employed and provided a means of living for? Right. Okay. Yeah. So, not that they shouldn't desire. To help out at some point, maybe, maybe they live in a community. But what, however, have you? I mean, I don't think they have a um, a debt to pay as far as they have to give away this kind of money every year to said organization. Right. I mean, I mean, take 
uh, someone like a uh, LeBron James, right? A multi-millionaire uh, athlete mm-hmm. who just his jerseys, his his Nike tinny shoes have produced jobs for people even outside of the U.S. Mm-hmm. I mean, just just his name and and all the associations that the image of the player and his foundation or whatever mm-hmm. uh, have. Uh, create things indirectly of, of just his basketball career. Mm-hmm. While yeah, while 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 that is definitely creation of whatever opportunities, jobs, mm-hmm. sustenance for people, it's still indirect. I mean, it's it's not he plays basketball uh, while the rest of you know the working class society and economy. Uh, monetizes off of him mm-hmm. and and his character. So he, while he may give an opportunity, but he, but there's there's the indirect relationship doesn't necessarily mean that that he is providing for making making life easier for those right. people. It's uh, there's still incentive on 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 those who who still have to make money off of LeBron James. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you think he should have to pay more money? Or you think he should have to distribute money out, even though he makes, well, I don't know, over a contract, one hundred twenty million dollars? No, I, I, I um, my point is, I don't think you can necessarily say that he's he's directly helping a lot of people for the for, for the benefit of it. I think it's on the right. other side. Other people are really milking uh, James for mm-hmm. for all he's worth, right? For, for their own benefit. Of course, he he, he is the the uh, the instrumental, it's a, right? It's an right. indirect. Relationship, but he doesn't do it so other people can make money. It has nothing to do with the person; it has everything right. to do with the position. Okay, and, and, and more or less that's it. Swap people out, uh, and the the position, the system remains the same. So, so, I, so I don't think we can necessarily glorify the person. It's more or less just the system in which people are, are placed. Is is if, if that makes any sense? So let's move away from the sports thing because I have okay. Um, Little experience in that regard. Let's take uh, let's take Bill Gates. Okay. So if I understand where you're coming from, Billy earned his keep. Absolutely. It's his money. Doesn't owe a dime. Doesn't owe a dime to anybody. He can burn it for all. He can burn it for all you care. (laughs) Absolutely. And according to you, Bill's made a bunch of money, and a lot of people have worked for his company. And without him having started the company, they wouldn't have any jobs, but they are still working themselves well, and earning their keep. I think it's a slightly different... Um, He's not really giving to them. There may be opportunities because right. he did what he did. Right. Giving implies that, that it costs you something, whereas... Providing for in a business opportunity, different scenario. It, uh, yeah, you can't you can't necessarily call it the same. We, we wouldn't consider that charity. I'm not giving my employees charity. Exactly, they're working their butts off and they get paid a good wage for it. Right, right. and and while that's, I mean, I'm not trying to downplay that, but but you can't say that they've they've given to they they. When you say they, you're talking about the rich. You the can't rich, the, can't say that the, the rich have, have have given. I think. Given isn't the right term. Right. So they have provided. Pro- provided for, created opportunities. Okay, so you're not denying what Isaac's saying. You're right. just giving another right. perspective that um, if someone's expecting them to give, they haven't given right. by right. providing jobs. It's indirect, right. Absolutely. Exactly. 
Okay. I can go with that. Any thoughts? Not yet. Just kind of soaking everything in. Uh, I, I mean, I. I think one of the greatest strengths of this of, of our country in particular, and by the way, a strength of the modern nation of Israel is the spirit of entrepreneurism and and people who have ambition and who are motivated to work hard to create to think outside the box that results in you know the car you know the, the PC mm-hmm. uh, cellular communications satellite communications internet you know I mean, air batteries I mean, From we can, yeah, we, yeah. there's a long list of technologies and products and medical technologies and um, so forth that came out of entrepreneurial efforts here in this country because we value individual um, the individual um, individuals' right and ability to work hard and make a lot of money if their efforts, you know, are successful. Right? Don't you think Israel, that it's wrong that this guy's got so much money and there are poor people? It is not wrong that this guy has so much money and it's not wrong that there are poor people. There will always be rich people and there will always be poor people. Even in red China, Russia, pick your communist mm-hmm. system... There are still rich people and there are still poor people. The rich people are the guys that run the government. Run the government right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the problem is those rich people tend to be very corrupt because if you have a system where everybody's supposed to be even, you know, per se, mm-hmm. then for you to be uneven right. means somebody cheated the system in there and now right. we have corruption. Right? So if I understand you correctly, you think it's good the way this system we have works, but you don't see an obligation on the part of the rich person. Oh, no, I didn't say that. Oh. Now the you said you said is it okay for that person to have a lot of money? Absolutely. That's a different question than what responsibilities does that rich person have? Uh, That's a different discussion altogether. So and we know. I mean, I know personally of a very wealthy man. You know, at his peak, he was probably worth about a hundred million. He's probably not worth that much now. But um, and this guy, very shrewd, very smart business guy, but the most ungodly person. I've ever met. I mean, to this day, he has two families, and he's proud of it. He goes around telling people, oh, I've got two wives and two families. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, just the guy's just completely, you know, he, he's just completely Lost. without God, right? And uh, and it's not that he doesn't do some good things with his money. He, you know, he gives to certain charities and whatever, why does he do it? Out of guilt. No. Because he has an ego and he likes to have a plaque on the wall. Yeah. He likes to be able to 
have his, you know, have a name on the side of a building, you know. So he's giving, at least in my opinion, from my observation, right, not to not to be and for the tax break, but but he's giving, as best I can tell, not out of pure motives. Does that mean that his gift is not good? It's still a gift. He still gave something to somebody. It's still a good deed. He did a good, good deed. Even though he did the good deed with perhaps bad or impure motives, right? Would it be better if he did the good deed with a good motive? Of course, right? He still does some good. But the point is, he's all about him and he's all about his... You but know, he's still giving. He, he, he still gives some, you know, but, but, so, but the point is this. He is not... He is not. Uh, he's he got. He has his wealth. He got his wealth honestly. You know, it's, it's his money. He can do with with it what he wants. But when I look at him and I look at how he, um, how he handles his wealth, even though he does give to this charity that charity every now and then, right? You know he's not the model. He's not the model citizen that you would say. You know this is what a rich person should do. You know, this is how a rich person should act with their money. That's what I want to get to. Right. Because we need to know what does that model look like. What should that rich person do? God willing and by His grace, we'll all be rich and have to suffer with this burden. That's right. <laughs> Smite me twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if I were, yeah, that's right. Um, in the meantime, I, I think that we need to, you know, as if we all agree, it's okay for the rich man to make the money. Then we should then look to the scripture to see how should he act with it. You say this man's doing it wrong, in your opinion. You're getting that from somewhere. Let's flush it out. Source of wealth. Got uh, three commandments that I think we can bring together and see a truth from. First, we're not to work on Shabbat. Prohibited. You're not to work your field during the Shemitah year, the sabbatical year, every seventh year. And we're not to steal. Considering this topic, can you think of what we can learn from these three commands that would help in this time? What can we learn from the fact that we are commanded not to work on Shabbat, we are commanded not to work the field during Shemitah, and we are commanded not to steal. What do we learn? I don't got to rely on God. God's the one who's going to give it. Right. All right. In fact, God says in uh, in Deuteronomy that it is He who gives the power to gain wealth. 
That's right. Careful not to forget God, your God, refraining from keeping his commandments, statutes, and ordinances with which I am charging you today, lest you eat be satisfied, build good houses and live in them. Your herds and flocks increase, your silver and gold accumulate. And everything you have prosper, and your heart become arrogant, and you forget God. You'll say in your heart, my own ability and the strength of my own hand have accumulated this wealth for me. You should remember God, your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to make wealth. Amen. There it is, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Okay. So, we see that with these three commands, we have a reliance on God, and we need to recognize that he's sovereign. And that he will give us the opportunity to make wealth. It's he that will provide for that seventh year so you don't have to do this. He'll provide for the seventh day so you don't have to work on that day. And we won't have to steal. A believer in Messiah needs to recognize the absolute truth that it is not through one's own strength that one overcomes but it is God's blessing that makes one wealthy. You got a uh, Bible handy? Proverbs 10.22. You got one? Skinny one? Little one? 1 Samuel 2.9. Proverbs 10.22 10, and 1 Samuel 2.9. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. So it is God who's going to provide this. The scriptures are clear. If that's the case, and we recognize that that's an absolute truth, that he's providing, then we should we should rest in that. Well, it's just like the uh, the last paragraph of the cotton zone and it ends with for I have never seen young and I've also aged and I have not seen a righteous man forsaken or his seed begging bread. That's it. That is a beautiful promise. I mean, is, I love it. That is a beautiful promise. The uh, the way the sages put it the uh, Sustenance aside, from uh, aside from expenses for Shabbat and Yom Tov and tuition for a Torah education for one's own children and for other children in the community, God has set out what you will make on Rosh Hashanah. That's what the sages say. On Rosh Hashanah, God decides what you're going to make this whole next year. What do you think of it? It's definitely authentic his capabilities. So. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, he's got right, and I'm, I'm familiar, of course, with that traditional understanding. But I can't say that I've I've seen where they pulled that from this Torah. And if you have some insight there, that'd be great. Yeah, we'll see what we got here, but uh, they they do. Uh, they do somehow because they always here's the uh, the quote even if you were to put in a profound effort working 20 of 24 hours employing every shrewd stratagem in the world he would not succeed in adding one penny more than the sum that was set for him at Rosh Hashanah similarly if someone has several competitors 
but he keeps his business closed on Shabbat and Yom Tov, the sum set for him on Rosh Hashanah will not be reduced by one penny. And yet, you still have to work. It's not that, well, you know, why work? I mean, God's already said, I'm going to make this much. There it is. Hands in the pockets, relax. That's not true either. But they get it from the quote that you gave from Deuteronomy. It's God who determines what you... He is sovereign. Now, their, their concept of sovereignty with regard to our lives is, is quite frankly, it's far beyond what I normally think of. When I think he's sovereign, I figure, well, you know, he can move mountains. He can also orchestrate the affairs of men mm-hmm. and determine what you're going to earn. It's like the hybrid between the predestination and free choice type of thing. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. So... Uh, Yalkut Shimoni. I mean, you got a copy of that yet? Yeah, me neither, man. <laughs> Holy cow. Uh, Yalkut Shimoni says, Rabbi Elazar Hakapar's sister's son. Did you guess that? That's Rabbi Elazar's sister's son. This is his nephew, right? Um, Kia had a pleasant voice. He would say to him, Kia! Arise and honor God with what he has graced you. The idea being that God has given you something, you need to use it in his service. This reminds me of something that the Master said. Can you recall from the Apostolic Scriptures? Didn't he say, he gave a couple of parables, didn't he? Parables. Well, like what? About the, the two uh, men who were given talents when... They used them, one, uh, or, or one buried them, one uh, uh, it, you know, didn't use it, and he, he collected dust. And the, the master came back, and the one that didn't use them was, was blessed yeah. entirely. So the one that invested them, I think two of them, ten to five and the one, right? right. So the, the, the ones that invested them and get back some and right. worked and used it mm-hmm. were blessed. And now the one right. that to, you know, gave him back just what he had given him. Exactly. It's like, <coughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. The, um, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah. There's a, there's a verse in, uh, in, I think it's, First John, it's one of John's epistles. I think it's First John. That says, "Above all things, brethren, you should prosper and be in health, even as your souls prosper." Mm-hmm. Which is to, which is a cool way of saying that. That God, I believe God wants His people to prosper. Mm-hmm. He wants us to to live healthy, wholesome lives. Mm-hmm. But it is it is it, there's a direct correlation to that right. as to the prospering of our soul and what how do we prosper our soul through studying the Word, through prayer, etc. Right, so. It's a great challenge. You, know, you want more prosperity? You want more health? 
Feed the spirit. Prosper your soul some more. And without using that as the motive. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Well, if, if the goal is the relationship with God, that your soul is strengthened and your spirit is stronger, and that He's blessing you in your spirit, bless the Lord, O oh, my soul, yeah. and all that is within me, bless His holy name. These other things will fall in place. Well, it's like, it's like He said. What, why, are you, why are you concerned about what you're going to wear? Or what you're going to eat. Or what you're going to eat. I mean, come on. But, but then you also have, down through history, examples of men who were just extremely godly men with unique callings and unique anointings on their life who were in poverty the whole time. Lived, they were in, they were poor with respect to economic standards when you compare you know one to another right they obviously were immensely wealthy in their spiritual stature um, so that that's ultimately why you cannot look at at wealth alone as an indicator of spiritual standing nor can you look at poverty alone. Poverty can be a result of laziness of other things, sure. right? Wealth can be a result of wickedness. Exactly. Wealth can be. <laughs> you, you can't look at you one can't side. Gain wealth yeah. through wicked means. Yeah. Right? You can't. You can't look at one side of the equation and yeah. get a factual answer. It cannot be done. Right. We need to recognize that God wants a partnership. That's the whole idea here. He wants a partnership with us that he would give you something and you would work with him to make the world a better place. I'm not necessarily talking about tikkun olam or the repairing of the world as I am if you are blessed with funds and he is not what would make you think that he didn't give you the funds to provide for him? It's a partnership. Uh, yes. Right? That's the whole idea. And that's where, you know, Greg is always talking about community. That's the bottom line. That's what it's all about. Especially within the uh, a body of Messiah. You know, the helping each other yeah, absolutely. out. Absolutely. When absolutely. One's in need. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, uh, John even says that, you know, um, that we would bless others, especially those of the household of faith. You know, one thing that I've felt laid on my heart to do, this is a personal thing of mine, is to thank God for the people that he's put in my life to help me in some of these areas. And for, you know, everything that I'm working hard towards so I can you know, make the kind of money and have a living for myself that I want, that I will then be able to impart some of that blessing on somebody else who was in my position, Amen. you know, from before. I mean, that's, so. that's, the, that's the whole bottom line. Yeah. Let not the wise man glorify himself with his wisdom, and let not the strong man glorify himself with his strength, and let not the rich man glorify himself with his wealth. For only with this 
May one glorify himself, contemplating and knowing me, for I am God who does kindness, justice, and righteousness in the land, for in these is my desire. Jeremiah chapter 9. What does God want? He, do, he doesn't want us to revel in the fact that we're strong or rich, well, whatever it may be. It's that we know him, and that through that knowledge, we're then motivated. I, I think there's an, also another important concept that you can't, you can't overlook in this discussion of you know wealth and whatever, and that is the uh, concept of contentment. That wherever you are in life, you know whatever your stature is, economically speaking, status, right. Um, we have to we have to be content where God has us at you know at any point in time recognizing and believing him for you know uh, uh, for the things that we need and, and, and what not and working hard and doing what we need to do but at the end of the day because he is the one that gives us the power to gain wealth. Mm-hmm. And because he does, he is sovereign, and the sages are probably right. He probably does just decide how much you're going to make. But because he doesn't tell you how much you're going to make, you still have to work your butt off. That, right. in, in and the, that, oh, sorry. And so, so just being, learning to be content wherever God has you is also another act of faith. That's what I was going to, yeah. Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And we need to remember that. Because we don't know what the work is going to provide. Because if he's predetermined, and we believe that he actually does have a plan for our lives, that's not just an overall plan going to get the, the pretty girl, get married, have the kids, and have the family, have the house, mm-hmm. then retire on the island. It's not just the big picture. It's the every day. Yeah. It's every year in that lifetime. Especially He's those. got it all down. So if you believe that he does, then you're going to be working with him to be found faithful with that. Especially those days that lead up to that. So, Absolutely. You know, um, it reminds me of that... Uh, Scripture in uh, Hebrews 11, I think it's verse 6, where it says that without faith it is impossible to please him. That's right. That the one who comes to him must believe that he is, and he, and is, he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Seek him. That's right. So. Amen. Um, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I check Arush uh, Sheva, Israel National News, several times a day because yeah. I just always I enjoy. I enjoy their their website and the radio channel, and I like to stay in touch with what's going on in Israel. And in the last three or four months, there's been several uh, rabbis that have passed away. Um, you know, these are renowned, well-regarded, well-renowned rabbis in the old in the big land. beard, right? And what strikes me every time is. When it says, you know, I mean, there was a, there was an announcement um, today or maybe yesterday when, of another rabbi. Of course, I don't know that much about these rabbis, but what strikes me is every time there's an announcement about some rabbi that, that died, 
and they always give us age. 96, 101, 89, 103, 93. I mean, these guys, you know, the long life, they live well into their 90s, and in many cases, more than 100. 100. Got their money's worth on that. Yeah. Uh, the head of the Haredi and the Lithuanian Haredi, um, Rabbi Elishiv, I can't remember the last name, um, some Eastern European sounding name, right? <laughs> Just throw Died up. like six months ago at the age of 100, and, I think it was 130, you know? Wow. Uh, and the guy was still, he, he'd still work up, he'd get to the shul, he'd pray. He was in the Beit Midrash. He would, you know, I mean, you know, he'd go to the hospital for a few days because something would happen. You know, he'd have to be monitored, you know. He'd get out. He'd go back home. He'd be back at the shul, you know. I mean, just, you know. And these guys, they just, but you can just, you, but then you see, you know, and it's just, it's just an observation. and It's a generalization, obviously. Right. There's, you can't talk in every case. Right. But when you then look at, quote unquote, some renowned, you know, figures of Christianity, I don't see, you know, I don't see them living that long, generally speaking. And they're in the lap of luxury normally. So and they're typically, yeah, you know, and and that's the other thing is these these rabbis, they're very renowned. They have that. Um, Rabbi Elishim, when he died, had 1,400 direct descendants. Wow. Because he himself had, you know, 10 or 12 kids. Yeah. And you know, they all and followed his suit. kids had 10 or 12 kids, and his grandkids had, you know. And the guy lives to be 103. I mean, you know, he <laughs> had, great, great, great kids, he had, he had uh, 1,400 direct descendants. Descendants. Wow. <laughs> praise, praise God. I I mean, and you know, people who die the, and they have five. Talk about the blessing of God. Amen. You know? Yeah. Yeah. To see your children's area. children. Yeah. And um, and these guys, these guys, as best as I can tell, and I've also had a conversation with an Orthodox rabbi that we all know about this. He said these guys. They're take they're taken care of because you know their community makes sure they're taken care of, but they live in just regular old houses. You know they might have a driver. You know they have an entourage because they have to because they're, you know, if they're not they get they get robbed by the crowds. But but they live relatively simple lives. You know they don't do TV shows. They don't do you know I mean you know they they spend their days. In the shore, studying the word of God, or counseling with the community, or writing—you know, obviously a lot of write, you know—and it's just such a different contrast to, you know, to Christianity. I would say to American Christianity. I can't really speak to Christianity in the rest of the world, but to American Christianity, where. It's all about how big can I get my church and yeah, those mega churches, yeah, you know and. Yeah, it's a different. It's just a totally, it's a totally different, different. Totally different. Thinking of let's, listen to what the uh, the Chabad Rebbe said. God wishes man to have complete good. Human nature is such that 
One only has true delight when one is a participant in the achievement obtained through one's own hand. Exhausting work. On the contrary, if one receives this as a gift, it's demeaning. It's called the bread of shame. Therefore, the most complete delight is only when one's attainments are through hard work. The harder the work is, the greater is the enjoyment of its fruits. Now, I got five other people that said virtually the same thing from virtually every background you can imagine. The water is always sweeter when you worked for it than if it's given to you. We find in a Midrash, Tankuma Mishpatim 9, David said before the Blessed Holy One, Master of the Universe, let the world be settled and equal before God. Set your world straight and divide it equally between the rich and the poor. God replied to him, If so, who would preserve kindness and truth? If all will be either wealthy or poor, who will be able to do acts of kindness? I like that. That... uh, that seemed to be, as, uh, as I was studying through this, um, a, a very um, consistent view that uh, I heard, uh, heard one rabbi telling a story. This, uh, this man is, uh, visits his town and he, uh, he needs to earn some money. He needs to get some money to be able to uh, set his, his wife up and pay for the wedding. And he needs 10 gold coins to make that happen. So he goes to the synagogue and uh, the shamus, the, the caretaker of the synagogue, says, uh, here's his story. And he says, uh, go down this street to this address, this is the richest man in town, and he can he can give you those ten coins, and you'll be all set. You'll be able to take care of your daughter, and and uh, have the wedding. Thanks him. Goes, knocks on the door. Rich man comes to the door, and he says, uh, I, "Here's the story." He says, "I I am I am a rich man, um, but I'm only going to give you one gold coin." And you just work for the other night. Find it on your own. This guy closes the door and he's all disappointed. He thought, you know, his problems would be taken care of and here they are. He's, he doesn't know what to do. So um, he goes back to the synagogue, talks to the shamus and explains the situation. The shamus says, well, I, I know he's not the only rich guy in town. He's just the richest guy in town. So uh, I'll help you. And they go knocking on doors and everything and, and uh, pretty soon he, he gets the other nine coins he needs and he's happy and you know praise God and he's his head's off and he's going to get the uh, daughter set up get the uh, wedding paid for and people in the town notice over time that right around this time the rich man's business affairs started to go south things seemed to not work out so well and at the same time the shamus 
seemed like Midas. Everything he put his hands to turned to gold. He was making money hand over fist and soon became one of the wealthiest men in the town. Well, the rich guy's not stupid. He goes to the rabbi and he says, Rabbi, I don't, I don't get it. I'm, I'm, I'm confused. I'm, I've always had it very easy and I, I've made a lot of money and now things are going terribly and I, I just don't understand. The rabbi says, well, God's looking for a partnership. He made you wealthy so that you could participate with him and help everybody out. You decided you didn't want the job. He gave it to the shamans. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so the rich guy says, well, wait a minute, I've learned my lesson. <laughs> Rabbi says, it's too late. God found another man for the job. Wow. I want the job. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, there's another there's another story. This is not a biblical story, but it's still, it's still <laughs> stories are cool. Yeah. It's still a good parable. It's about, you know, it sort of plays off the contentment concept, but it also plays off of pursuing wealth just to pursue wealth. Mm. So uh, the story is rich Wall Street guy is vacationing down in Mexico with his wife. Yeah. And he's at some lavish resort there on the Caribbean, you know, on the, you know, on the Mexican Riviera and, uh, and enjoying, you know, all the best and finest that his wealth can, can buy while he's there. So one day, you know, he's walking along the beach just, you know, and, and enjoying it and and uh, he sees this little, sees this little local Mexican guy uh, in a little fishing boat, and you know he comes in and pulls up to a dock, and he's unloading the boat. He's been out fishing all day, and you know, and uh, so this Wall Street, you know, guy starts talking to him. He's like, he's like, oh, so you're a fisherman? So the local guy says, yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm Fisherman. The guy says, "Well, um, um, well, how many, how many, how many boats do you have?" And the guy says, "I just, just, uh, just this one, yeah." And he says, uh, "Okay, well, so, so you just fish all, you just go out fish, come back in the day." And he's like, "Yeah, just I go out fish all day, come home." I, eat with my wife and kids and you know and we just kind of hang out and and Wall Street guy's like okay well he's like well you know what you should really do you know he said you ought to take some of the sort of some of the proceeds uh, from your from your fishing you know go down to the bank and Put a little money down, get a loan, buy another boat or two, you know, and then you've got more boats. You can go out, you can catch some more fish, you know. Now you've got more revenue, and take some of those proceeds and keep expanding your fleet, you know. And before you know it, 
then you can then you can upgrade your your boats at some point. You know, so this Wall Street guy starts laying out this business plan for him on how he can, you know, um, turn well. You know how he can you know kind of become this big fishing empire there on, on the on the, on the yeah there you go coast. fishing you know, and he's like and he's like yeah you know, in five years from now you know you'll have all you'll have this big fleet of, of fishing boats and you'll have people working for you and you know and and then you can expand into other, into other uh, other markets and then I can help you take the company public and you'll make a lot of money and the guy says well okay so what do I do with all that money that I make five or ten years from now He's like, well, then you can retire to a small beach town somewhere and just fish when you want to and hang out with your family. <laughs> and, of course, this little, this little Mexican guy is thinking, okay, uh, I'll think about it and get back to you. Yeah. But the point, the whole point is the, the Wall Street guy who's Career oriented and all, and only thinking about money all the time. Is has these great ideas about how to grow the business and do this and make all this money, but for what purpose? Mm-hmm. So that the guy can have the life he already has, mm-hmm. you know, without all the, without all the, without all the, you know, um, headache to, you know, to to work yeah. to do all that. So. It's just a, it's a to me it's a neat story that kind of illustrates, you know, pe- people and we're and to a certain extent we can all be guilty of this, pursuing gain just for the sake of gain, right? You know, at the expense of um, of family or other things, right? Exactly. So especially when you miss out on. A sold-out relationship with God, because right. you're so stinking busy that you you forget yes. that God has already demanded some busyness right. on our parts. Yeah. So it's to me, and that's a it's a it's a humbling story because particularly in our culture, you know, and I know, you know, you know. I've been guilty of this in times in my life, you know, getting too focused on business or whatever, you know, because I enjoy business. I, I, I like business, you know, but it's just like anything, you know, if, if, if we don't keep it all in perspective, then at some point, you know, we go off the railroad track one direction or the other. That's right. I mean, there's also... Yeah, I love Pirkei Avot, how it talks about um, that whole balancing of studying Torah versus working. Right. You know, because there's got to be a, a balance there, um, and and uh, it's just a good, it's a good lesson. It's a good thing to constantly be reminding ourselves. Absolutely. Of. Um, so. Uh, anyway, I thought that was... Like, that is good. I like it. Mm-hmm. So listen, uh, listen listen, to this here. King David's complaint that there's no need for the... Is, is that there's no need for the division between wealthy and poor, right? The poor should not have to receive their life force through the rich, but all should receive directly from the Holy Blessed is he. So we, we pray in grace after meals... 
including the poor man begging in the doorways, don't cause us to need the handouts or loans of flesh and blood, but only your full, open, and generous hand. That being so, you've got to ask the question, why did God make it so that the poor must receive their life force from the rich? Why would he do that? To this God replies, who would preserve kindness and truth? If all be either wealthy or poor, who will be able to do acts of kindness? That is to say, the division between rich and poor is necessary in order for there to be acts of kindness. King David accepted the answer, and it became part of the Torah. And the rabbis quote, Pirkei Avot, the world stands on three things, one of which is acts of kindness. This tells us that the ongoing existence of the world depends on acts of kindness. Deuteronomy 15, You shall surely open your hand to the poor man and give him enough for all that he lacks. Um, Sifre says, For all that he lacks, you're not obligated to make him rich. Midrash Tanaim says, For all that he lacks, all is according to his honor. So, Should wealth be redistributed? Think about it. Wealth should not be... The redistribution of wealth should not be mandated. But those who are wealthy, if they are godly men, will voluntarily distribute their wealth there it is. to take care of those in less. So what's the right answer? Should wealth be redistributed? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Who should do it? Godly men. Why? Because God requires it of us. That's it. Should it be a role of the government? Are you nuts? No. (laughs) Of course not. And when the government does it, it disincentivizes the faith-based organizations. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The government's already given away enough money as it is. We're, we're going to uh, talk about uh, next week welfare and, and uh, other charitable programs and stuff for the government. But uh, suffice it to say, for tonight. We had a class similar to that previously. Similar. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, On welfare? Maybe it wasn't a class. Was we we had a, a good little discussion in, in a class, within a class. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a there's an economic truth, which is if I am spending my money, I am concerned about cost and quality. If I'm spending my money on me, right? If I'm spending my money on you, I'm concerned about cost, and I'm less concerned about quality. If I'm spending your money on me, I'm concerned about quality, and I'm less concerned about cost. If I'm spending, if I'm spending your money on him, I keep, I don't care about cost or quality. Which of those categories does the government represent? Yeah. 
They're spending your money on him. Somebody else. That's right. That's they what don't thinking, care yeah. about cost or quality. This is that four gram, four lies. square diagram, which shows. That's good. I like that. I, I am convinced that the only reason why our government is compelled to care for the needy and has taken advantage of that opportunity is because the godly have failed in their role. Oh. Well, can, can, can I advocate for the devil? Of course. Um, not on that point, but uh, you're absolutely right that if you're a righteous man and you're wealthy, acts of charity and redistributing uh, your wealth should be organic and should be you know, a, a natural tendency. But the fact of the matter is that there's a lot of wealthy people, and I would say the majority of people that are not righteous and will, will not naturally and organically give up of their own, uh, uh, give a uh, gift where it starts to hurt, you know, for the sake of others. Like you said, maybe for an egotistical reason, but not for a reason that's necessarily... You know, a sacrificial giving, right? Right, exactly. So at that point, what do you do? Uh, can Does the government have the right to make the wicked, you know, uh, provide for the poor at large. Well, it's not possible for the government to determine who's wicked or not. Okay. But even the Torah does not demand of the man that he give to the poor. Well, I thought you said that God... From a government well, perspective. Okay. God expects it. Okay. But he never mandates that the elders okay. mandate it of the man. It should be expected in the community. Right. It should be expected of wealthy men that it should be taught. It should, it should be, be taught. But if a man is wicked, why would we expect the wicked to act righteous? Well, interestingly enough, on that point, that the scriptures focus so much on a theocratic government, right? Which is so different from our own. So, in that sense, there was a mandated tithe right. every three years yeah. for the poor. But. But that, we're, we're talking beyond that, you know. Um, I think it's interesting that, the, uh, that there's not a court-imposed penalty for not giving the tithe. Um, sort of, uh, almost kind of alluding to the idea that, again, it needs to be voluntary even if it's strongly encouraged. Um, but, you know, if God withdraws his hand of blessing... I have found that to be one of the strongest motivators for my clients not to steal software. Because, you know, they'll ask, you know, we got this one copy of Microsoft Office, we want to put it on these 19 computers. So we tell them, well, we'll put that one copy on this one computer. The other 18, you need to get somebody else to do that. But this one copy of Office costs maybe 200 bucks, 215 bucks. Why would you risk God withdrawing his hand of blessing from your company for 18 copies of this piece of software? We won't do it. And I have not had a single man say, well, I'm just too cheap to buy it and get somebody to do it. They all stop and go, I never thought of that. Even the wicked ones. 
They all want God's hand of blessing, whether they're part of the family or not. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess there's there's nothing we can do to force a book, or there's nothing should be done to get before uh, a a what a wicked person giving. Again, I don't think that uh, the I'll government s- can ever okay. call who's wicked and who's not. Well, and a rich people and. I think I mean, that, you're, okay. you're right, and I so see if, your point. So but if they're, if they're going to tell him because he's wicked, he's got to give. Now they're mandating how much I've got to give. It's well, none of Judaism things. argues that um, ultimately God is the one who measures all the scales, mm-hmm. and that He works all the details out. Yeah, it's interesting point, right? that um, so on that yeah yeah sorry. Um, so to that, to your point, right. um, the Torah does not see it as a role of, and authority. That's why I said earlier there's no penalty imposed right. by the court. They right. could very easily fine people who don't give a tithe. Right. You're, you're automatically fined 10%. But that's actually not mandated. And I think part of the reason is throughout Scripture, giving is supposed to be done with cheerfulness. Right. So if, if giving is done compellingly, then it's no longer giving. Right. It's, 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 it's a, a penalty. It's right. a tax. Now taxes are not necessarily wrong in Scripture. We do right. see, for example, that the, the king is encouraged not to become wealthy or too wealthy, but right. there doesn't seem to be a... It's not necessarily wrong for him to issue some sort of tax to uphold right. the government. But a tax and, and charity are two different things. Right, and, and that's... Okay, well... We, we can't mandate... Didn't we just talk about... Where did we say this? We said this is Shabbat, right? Yeah. We can't mandate righteousness. Right. And No one can Right. right, and and I'm okay. But see, here's the thing. Though. But what? But where's the? How do you make it better? I mean, it's, it's it's one thing to say Torah. I mean, obviously, you can't force someone to give and for them to be happy. God doesn't want that, and I agree. But there, let's not give a cop out answer. How can we increase those who obviously can't afford and should get a slap in the face and 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 give of themselves? How do we encourage that? We teach the Torah to the people. That is what causes and generates the fear of God. Okay. So we teach the Torah, we shun the evil man, okay. and we remember with the story with the rich man and the shamas. God will work it out. Right. Proverbs says but the wealth God, of the right. wicked is laid up for the right. righteous. And exactly. I think that, and honestly, even just taking our own country as an example... The United States is the is the wealthiest nation, well, was as a, as a large country anyway, comparatively speaking. Some smaller, you know, well-producing countries might have individual wealth on average higher, but I mean, in terms of total gross domestic product, we are number one, and I think also number two. <laughs> I mean, it's huge, but the United States also is the lar- is the highest giving country in the world. Right. So the idea that the wealthy don't give. I don't think it's entirely correct. There are true misers out there. But I think actually if you will you will find that part of the problem with the world today is not the wealthy are not giving. Right. It's that the wealthy are giving to institutions or to governments that are misusing the That's funds. Right. So you have you know warlords in Africa who are getting medicine money and spending it on weapons or you have uh, governments who are you know hiring their buddies from high school to come run major green energy programs that go bankrupt. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, whatever it might be. So when you've got those types of problems, that's, I think, where a lot of the money gets lost. So I, mean, I think personally that a lot of wealthy people, I mean, you look across the board, mm-hmm. top most wealthiest people in the United States 
I can almost guarantee you, right. it, majority of them are giving a significant amount giving, of money right. out and, the nose. And, and yeah, and I'm I'm not disagreeing, and I think that that's. Um... Well, I, I think I think the other con- there's other concepts in the Torah that speak to how society exactly. provides the safety net. Right. Primarily, the concept, the Torah of the bond servants. Right. Right. In that society, if you found yourself out on the street due to bad luck, you know whatever the circumstances were, right? You didn't go to the social security office, right? <laughs> what did you do? You went to your. Uh, you went to your. You hired yourself out as a servant. You sold yourself as an indentured servant. And that was the safety net because as an indentured servant, you were going to have a roof over your head, clothes on your back, and food in your stomach. Your basic necessities would be provided for. So nobody was homeless, nobody was starving, living under the bridge, because that was the social security safety net according to the Torah. And you committed to that servant to for for uh, six years, and in the seventh year, the master has to set you free. And when he does so, he has to not empty-handed. Right. He has to send you off with uh, supply, seed yeah. money. And, yeah. and, that's right. And that that's that just, is the safety net of the Torah. And that system requires wealthy people. I mean, right. for, for someone to take in an indentured well, servant plus it, him. That doesn't require, I mean, no, it doesn't no, no, require the, wealthy people like Bill Gates wealthy. Well, well, okay, that's fine, because you don't think you can really compare them. Although I think that, that if you that say this, if you look at the Torah, I think there is, there is a promise in the Torah that there will always be the poor among you. Right. Yeah. But there is almost an implied promise that basically as long as the country maintains a certain level of righteousness, they will always be wealthy people within the country. I mean, the ultimate promise is if your country is if the nation of Israel is truly righteous, then they will all be wealthy. Yeah. Like there will be, you will be the head and not the tail. Let's, you will lend to many and not borrow. Let's let's right. face it. We saw it tonight. There are wealthy people by God's design. Many of the patriarchs, not just the three, but the, the fathers of the faith and all that, were unbelievably extraordinarily wealthy wealth is not a bad thing right right. if there's going to be poor by definition there has to be wealthy the only time we have a a problem with that mentally is when we think that's bad and we we have to fix it and level it that's not sin and poverty that's right there's no sin and wealth that's right it's exactly right. It's neither good nor bad. Yeah. So I don't. I I, I think we we go down a, a, a just a whole other class on another another topic if we try to fix the ills of our world right now. Hmm. My concern is that when God looks me in the eye and says, "What did you do to affect the world?" I can say, hmm. "I know five people." that know how you're dealing with wealth. I know they know it. How'd they do? If we teach the Torah, it will change the world from the inside out. Amen. Simple as that. It's time. This was good.
That's good. Okay. I'd rather we have 15, 20 people so we could start chatting a little bit, but you guys are sedate and calm and knew most of the answers. As I was uh, reading through the, the Talmud uh, a week or two ago, I found a list of the prayers or the blessings that the rabbis would give each other as they left the study hall. Did you remember those things? Some of them were really, I wrote one of them down. You shall see your world in your life, which means that all your needs will be met. And your end shall be with the life of the world to come and your hope for many generations. May your heart ponder and achieve understanding. May your mouth speak wisdom and may your tongue bring forth song. May your eyelids look straight before you. May your eyes be enlightened by the light of Torah and may your face shine like the brightness of the sky. May your lips utter knowledge and your kidneys rejoice in righteousness and your feet run to hear the words of the Ancient of Days. Oh, Amen. Yeah. Amen. How cool is that? Yeah, very cool. Yeah. I, uh, I, I pray that, I mean, that's, that's why we started with uh, John Piper. I, I pray that we would have a love for the Word of God and recognize that it can change our perspective and our lot in life as we participate more with God and what he's doing. Like you said, not for gain physically, but for gain spiritually. Because as we grow in him, he will bless us. He may bless us financially. He may bless us with children. He may bless us with health. God willing and by his grace, are you listening? He may bless us with all those things. I'll take, smite me twice. But he will bless. And if, if that's our goal, to have the blessings of God, we trust that he will work it out. If we truly believe the word of God, remember the three, that we don't need to work on Shabbat, that we don't need to work the field in Shemitah, and we don't need to steal. If we really believe those, they demonstrate our faith that God works it out. And if that's the case, we're golden. And then, in, in the real, to me, the real thing that has the most value is when God blesses us with things that money cannot buy. Amen. And that the world cannot Take yeah, away. That's right. Take away. Yeah. There it is. That, that's what the measure. Then we're over the top. Is. That's right. All right, man. Good stuff. Yes, yes. indeed. Yes, indeed.